I'm going to ask you to do something that's very hard, very difficult to do. In a world like we live in today, this is like almost impossible. I'm going to ask you to turn on, if you could, an imagination station within your mind. And what I want you to imagine is we've been singing all morning about the grace of God. But I want you to imagine a world that is saturated with his grace. I want you to imagine a world where the grace of God has gone wild. Now just think about that for a moment. What does that look like? What's happening in that world that you're imagining right now? For us to be able to do that, for us to be able to imagine that kind of a world, we have to change time zones. And I know that some of you today set your alarm clock for 1.55 a.m. and you got up at 2 a.m. and you set your clocks back, right? Yeah. Is there anyone who does, anyone did that? Anyone? I just want to see, because if you did, we have some pastoral help for you. <laughs> but we just set our clocks back to what is known as standard time. But if we're going to imagine, if we're going to be able to imagine this world where grace has gone wild, we have to set our hearts to a different time zone. We have to set our hearts to the time zone of the future. And in fact, the, the Christian time zone, because of the resurrection of Jesus, is indeed future-oriented. Now, now, to get a picture of this world where grace has gone wild, we're going to go and we're going to turn to the most misinterpreted book in the Bible. We call it the book of Revelation, but its proper title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's its proper title. So that tells you right there that the book's really not about trying to figure out all the prophecies and doing all those kind of things. The book's about Jesus Christ, revealing him. So, so what we're not going to do today is we're not going to debate all the, all the um, controversies around the book of Revelation. I am not going to make some prediction of a time and a date of when Jesus is coming back so that you can empty your savings and run and move to Mount Washington and wait there for Jesus to return. You will be a frozen block when he comes. So we're not going to do any of that, but what we are going to do is we're going to let our imaginations run wild. Can you do that just, just for about 30 minutes? Let your imagination run wild about a grace, a world where grace has gone wild. Because this is what it sounds like. John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
And then he said this. I love this part. Write this down. <coughs> For these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord to us today. When I read that passage of Scripture, my soul gets goosebumps. Right? My, my, my soul longs for that. But do you know that every human soul longs for this? That's what the Bible teaches us. Look at these words from Romans chapter 8. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning. Then Paul goes on and says, for we believers are groaning just like us. All creation is groaning for that beautiful picture of grace gone wild. They may not say it, they may not name it, but human beings are wired for that hope. We're made for that. And in that beautiful picture, we see the final intention of grace. It's, it's the compilation of grace. God's true goal for all creation. <clears throat> now, I think the mistake we make is we make statements like this. That's great. I can't wait to get to heaven. That's our mistake. We think this is all about heaven when really it's much bigger than that. This is a call for us to not only long with hope for Jesus to make all things right, but to live with hope toward that. And so, so that's what setting the time zone of our hearts to the future is about. And when we set our hearts towards the redemption of all things, ultimately something happens to us now. I wish I wrote these words, but I didn't. Dallas Willard said, to live strongly and creatively, we need to have firmly fixed in our minds what our future is to be like. In this way, our future can be incorporated into our life now. Think about that. This beautiful picture we have read about, how do we incorporate that into our lives now? Well, well this passage offers us some signposts on that journey, if you will. As we live in this tension, we live in the tension of the time zone of the kingdom of God, which is the already and the yet to be. The already of us living in relationship with Jesus Christ, the already of us joining in church fellowship, and the already of suffering and pain and hardship and difficulty, and the yet to be of what we just read. We live in the tension of that. But here we find signposts in this beautiful vision of what lies ahead that help us gain understanding of how to live with Optimism of grace now. Let's start by talking about this new creation. You saw it in verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. Pretty, pretty amazing. The first, the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, but here it is. But there's no longer any sea. You see, in the Bible, the sea represents chaos and fear 
and disorder. Read the psalmist, what he says about the sea. It represents a life that's untethered, but in the new creation, there is this restoration to its rightful order, so there's no more sea, there's no more disorder. It's a beautiful picture of restoring all things to their original intention because the ultimate goal of grace is to make all things new. That's what it said in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. But the good news is we don't have to wait till then. The good news is God wants that for us now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has it's come, right? Same language. So what does this new creation life look like? Well, we get a little bit of information from our text this morning to help us. In, in verse 4, it says, the old order of things has passed away. When the Bible here speaks about new, it's not speaking about something like brand new, like, hey, I'm going to go buy a brand new car today that's totally brand new and new to me. The word new here means a new kind of the same thing. Hear that, a new kind of the same thing. So what Jesus does is he brings order to my life, and he begins to make me a new kind of Jeff. In fact, he begins to make me the Jeff that I was always intended to be. Now, some people in the world say, we wish that God would work faster on making you the Jeff you were always intended to be. And they would say the same thing probably about you too. Right? But that's what God is doing. That's what God is up to. God is making me optimally the person I am intended to be in the new creation. He's doing that now. And so signpost number one is this. A new kind of me is possible now. Our very lives are a signpost of what God ultimately wants to do. Think about that. That's a good, that's a good word, friends. Talk about grace. So there's a new kind of me, but here's something else. There's new relationships. Uh, look what it says in verses 2 and 3. The, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful picture that is. And her loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. In, in, in what is like an incomprehensible way, heaven joins earth. I, I know we have this, this idea that Somehow earth is going to go completely away and it's all going to be heaven, but somehow, somehow in the beauty of grace, earth and heaven are transformed and they join together. I think it speaks to how thin the line is between heaven and earth. That's another sermon probably. But I think the point of all of this is that there'll be no separation between us and God. No separation. We'll see the fullness of God's presence everywhere. But then there's this little verse in the Bible 
that says this. And God appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, we see this picture in Revelation 21 of God getting what he really wants, which is a new creation marked by a fellowship of joy with all creation. With all creation. But that starts now. Because what we read in the scripture is that the best expression of God's fullness is the church, is the bride of Christ. That's what it says. He says the church, Paul says the church, right? The church is the fullness of God, of the God who fills everything everywhere. So what does that mean for us? Well, God has always, always wanted to be with us, right? He always has wanted to be with us from the very start. Remember, Adam, Adam, where are you? That's a God who's wanting to be with it. And, and we just read these words right here of how, how this beautiful picture of God, not us being flown up to heaven, but heaven and all of the glory of God coming down to us because God wants to be with us. And what about those beautiful words in Matthew chapter 1, and they'll give him the name Emmanuel, God with us. It's what God has always, always wanted. His fullness of presence is found in us. But it's not just like me and Jesus. It is found in a people. A people who live the God with us life. It is found in a people so signpost number two is that there are new kind of relationships that are available now in this people. We do it so imperfectly. I know that we're all in, in, in we're kind of like in, in transit. We're all in process. We're all in progress. But we, as the church, are the fullness of God, is what the Bible says. That points to the fullness of God in time and eternity. So, God wants to be with us so much. And as Dallas Willard said, only in the light of such a redeemed community is it possible for God to be known in his deepest nature. Now hear this. They make it possible for God to be known. So if you want to know why you need to be part of a gathered people on a regular basis, you want to know why you need to make a commitment to do life together in community, is because we are the plan to reveal to the world what it looks like to have the fullness of God present. And we are the ones, like, like when we leave here today, we are the ones who will reveal that to the world. So here's the question. Let's just get rid of, let's just close the church. Let's just get rid of the churches, all the churches. Let's just get rid of the church. What's God's plan? What's his plan B? He doesn't have one. We're it. How cool is that? We're it. We are the plan B. The church of Jesus Christ, that's you and me. That's not someone else who's going to show up some other place. 
That's you. That's me. He wants to be with us, and he wants us to be with one another. And without that, we or the world won't know his fullness. So there's new relationships. New kind of relationships are available now. And then, when we know that's true, we also see that what he's really up to is this new rescue operation. There are the words of Scripture in the book of Revelation that we crave for more than any other. When I think about what I want to read from the book of Revelation, if there was anything I'd say, this is the go-to place, it's these words. The words of verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Am I the only one who's tired of the old order of things? Right? I'm tired of hearing of shootings. I'm tired of hearing of political bickering. I'm tired of hearing of rage expressed in so many different ways. I'm tired of hearing of abuse. I'm tired of hearing of death. That's the old order, right? So we get this picture, this vivid picture of what we all hope for. But it's a real hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hear that. It's a living hope. It's not, it's not a delayed hope. It's not a belated hope. It's not just hope for what God is going to do somewhere out there, but because of the resurrection of Jesus and because we have that eternal hope, we can live with hope. It is a real hope because Jesus Christ is a living God and he's living in us when we trust him and that means as we walk through the barren ground of death and mourning and crying and pain, he walks with us. He walks with us in our suffering. He walks with us through our suffering. He understands our suffering and our brokenness. And the living God is with us. And so, and so, signpost number three that we're heading towards this glorious, beautiful day is a new kind of hope in the old broken world is tangible now. A new kind of hope for us now. So when I performed the funeral for my friend, my dear, dear friend, Ron Attic, a couple years ago, as I, as I stood there preaching, my heart was breaking. Wasn't feeling it, just was breaking. When I came to the end of that funeral sermon, I recited the words that Ron Attic taught me to believe in. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by the power how good you are, not by how religious you are, not by what you have, 
or what you don't have, not by your circumstances, good or bad, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that's referring to? The living presence of God. The resurrected presence of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. The life of God in the soul of man given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's where that hope is birthed. Beyond, beyond emotion, beyond circumstances, beyond all those things, is that peace that passes all understanding. That hope that's in us. Even when we're feeling nothing. Even when our circumstances are black, dark. The Holy Spirit meets us. And I think oftentimes we look back and we go, that's where he met me. A new kind of hope in this old broken world of ours. Tangible now. But because that's true, because all of this is true, there's one more thing. We need to talk about our new place in this world. And to do that, we need to get to the beautiful end of God's story. All right? So the beautiful end of God's story we're going to find in verse 2 of Revelation 22. The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 22. Chapter 22, verse 2, I'm sorry. On each side of the river of the water of life stood the tree of life. That's awesome. But here's really, this is really awesome. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Wow. How cool is that? Aren't you looking forward to nations being healed? Aren't you looking so forward to refugee crises being healed? mitigated, completely eliminated? Aren't you so looking forward to the, 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 the wars that just continue to erupt in our world being gone? Nations, cultures, um, different languages, different races, right? All of our different socioeconomic um, um, categories, all of that gone. And here it is. There's a healing. Hear that? A healing of the nations. That's the ultimate goal. But that vision of the healing of the nations through centuries now has led to the betterment of mankind. Not some kind of mindset that says, well, that's going to be great then. But because of that vision, people through the ages have said, Let's make that happen now. Because of that, it's ignited a passion to work for good on earth as we live for God on earth. Think about it. The early church grew not because they were great preachers and because they were, you know, these really dynamic guys and, you know, they had the culture all figured out. They had their strategy. This is why the early church grew. Because when the pagans were running away from those who were dying of disease, the Christians were running toward them, towards those people who were dying, some of whom died, rendering grace to them. Because, because the Christians were taking women and they were elevating them to a different level of understanding as being made in the image of God rather than using them as chattel. That's one of the biggest misconceptions of the Christian church. Early on in the early church, 
Paul, read Paul. That's what started to happen, and it started to come all the way through history. As God began to work, the healing of the nations. And why would it not be so important? Go back with me to something we've introduced to you called the Sower's Creed. And let's say this together. Here we go. Today, I sow for a great awakening. Today, I stake everything on the promise of the Word of God. I depend entirely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the same mind in me that was in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus is good news and Jesus is in me, I am good news. Today, I will sow the extravagance of the gospel everywhere I go into everyone I meet. Today, I will love others as Jesus has loved me. Today, I will remember that the tiniest seeds become the tallest trees, that the seeds sown today become the shade of tomorrow, that the faith of right now becomes the future of the everlasting kingdom. Today, I sow for great awakening. Isn't that what happened? When the politician William Wilberforce worked for the abolition of slavery in Britain, right to his deathbed. Isn't that what happened when Florence Nightingale encouraged better health care for the poor by better, creating better health standards and then creating a, making the first nursing school? Isn't that what happened when Harriet Tubman rescued slaves by leading them through the Underground Railroad? Isn't that what happened when Martin Luther King stood up for a nation where we would not be judged by the color of our skin but by the content of our character? Isn't that what happened when Christian East German pastor, Christian Fuhrer, began a prayer meeting in 1982 and it became a revival seven years later that actually tore down the Iron Curtain in East Germany. That was, you don't hear that on the news cycle, that was actually a Christian revival movement that came out of prayer. Isn't that what happens or happened when Mother Teresa refused to let the dying die alone in the streets of Calcutta while defending the right to life for the unborn even before presidents and kings? Isn't that what happened when attorney Gary Haugen started the International Justice Mission, which has rescued 49,000 people from sex trafficking, forced labor, and violence against women and children? And isn't that what happened last week when Kirk Franklin called out Trinity Broadcast Network and the Gospel Music Association after they edited out of the Dove Awards presentation his powerful call to prayer? They edited out a prayer about race and reconciliation in America. Can't we even pray about that? Isn't that what happened when Republican Congressman Mark Meadows tearfully eulogized his friend, Democratic Representative Elijah Cummings, reminding us that Scripture and Christ are greater than the beltway? Isn't that what happens? When you fill a shoebox, when you volunteer to serve a meal, when you show up for trunk or treat to be the presence of Jesus to people you don't even know, when you put others 
but for yourself. When you love your neighbor, when you provide Thanksgiving baskets, when you sacrifice to teach children and youth the faith, when you give time to be present with the precious faith you've been handed and I've been handed to give to those we want so desperately to walk this life. Isn't that what happens when we're present to be part of the people of God? He has called to be his fullness. Isn't that what happens when we seek to be the genuine people of God, giving the world a reason to say something different about the church, giving the world a reason to look at you and me and say, well, I want to go wherever they are. I want to be with them wherever they are. Revelation 22.4 is translated this way by Dallas Willard. And they shall live with Christ's face in view and that they belong to him will show on their faces. That's not, that's not to happen then. That we belong to him will show on our faces because it happens now. And so yes, what happens is his kingdom comes. And you know what happens when that happens? Grace goes wild. Grace becomes unrestrained. It begins to leak out wherever we find ourselves. Now, some days I leak out grace better than others. Probably you too, right? But we, my friends, we begin to look like Revelation 21. As N.T. Wright said, every act of love, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every work of true creativity, making peace, healing families, resisting temptation, seeking and winning true freedom is an earthly event in a long history of things that act as signposts of hope pointing to this beautiful future ahead. Signpost number four, a new kind of healing for the world comes through us. Now, I guess really what I need to say is that you're the signpost. I'm the signpost. We are the signposts of what we believe our future is holding for us. I'm going to ask our worship team and our pastors that they'd come as we prepare for communion this morning. You see, this table, <clears throat> this table is a place that is intended to remind us of these signposts. In fact, the table itself is a signpost pointing us to the one who inaugurated this new creation hope at the cross. This table proclaims Christ's life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection and the hope of his coming again. This table shows forth the Lord's death until his return. This table is a means of God's grace to us in which Christ is present by the Spirit. And as we receive the elements, we receive with deep gratitude for the work of Christ, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And so together we confess, we say, Christ has died. 
Christ has risen and Christ will come again. And we believe, we believe that God wants grace to go wild. As we prepare for communion, let us pray together. Our Father and God, we pray and turn to you. We gather at your table in the name of your Son, Jesus, who by your Spirit makes possible this new kind of life, these new kind of relationships, this new kind of hope, and this new kind of healing in our world. Today we place our faith in the one who is making all things right. Oh God, give us courage to become signposts. Give us strength to hold fast in the midst of pain and suffering. Give us, Lord God, discernment in how to live before those who know not you. And may we point one another and others to the beauty of grace found in Christ wherever we find ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.